0: The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul, and as he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples.
1: Thank you uh, so much, Courtney. What we're going to do over the next few weeks, if you're new here, is we're going through longer passages in the book of Acts. And we want to start the teaching by reading the whole thing. The most important thing you can listen to is the scriptures being read. And so we're going to do that every week. And then we're going to focus in on one small part of each chapter and try to apply it uh, to our lives. Well, hello. My name's Jose, if we haven't met yet. And uh, a couple of stories to get our minds thinking about what happened in ancient cities that we don't even think about. How many of you have been intrigued by Lystra and Derby and Antioch and Iconium? Like this, These are places that don't have a meaning to us, but maybe this will help. Uh, two stories. I was in Scotland. It was Saturday night. And uh, just two weeks ago, and I was preaching at a church. And I invited people to respond in faith to Jesus. And in order to know who was going to respond, I just asked, Hey, before we pray, would you slip up your hand so that I'll I'll know we're praying for you. And uh, a few people responded. And one of them seemed like a little kid. And at the uh, end, we prayed, did some more music. And then I was walking out, and this young student just came up to me. Turns out he's 13 years old, and he said, hey, I thank you so much for speaking. And his name is Jaden. And uh, I said, Jaden, so I saw you put your hand up. What do you think that means? Well, he says, like, oh, my mom and dad don't go to church, but granny. And he said it with a better Scottish accent. You know, like, granny has been taking me to church. And I'm like, do you like it? He's like, yeah. And I was like, so what do you think it means to follow Jesus? Just asking questions to see if it made sense. And after about 10 minutes, to me, it was quite clear that little Jaden was ready to respond and follow Jesus. Uh, So I said, so what do you think we need to do, Jaden? And he's like, well, I should just ask. I'm like, you're right. God wants to give you the gift of life, and those who ask, receive. So so do you want to ask right now? He's like, yeah. He's like, but is it okay if we get granny? I'm like yeah! So Granny comes over and the three of us just sitting in the corner of the lobby of this church Jaden opened his mouth because his heart was already open and he responded in faith to Jesus. Well the next day on Sunday I was preaching at the same church over on the right hand side I see Granny and Jaden and I did the same thing. I got one message I just repeat you know and and I, and I just said if anyone wants to respond to the gospel on Sunday uh, just raise up your hand if you want to do that. And over on the left, I see some people raising their hand. I'm like, oh, this is great. And end of the gathering, I go out to the front lobby because the lobby is the place where stuff happens, you know. And, and so a guy comes up to me and says, hey, thanks for coming here and speaking yesterday and today. Would you mind, uh, my girlfriend has some questions. Would you mind talking to her? I'm like, sure. He's like, great. He motions her over. She comes over and he just jets. I'm like, okay, awkward start. Very awkward start. So I said, hi, I'm Jose. She's like, I'm Amy. And Amy's uh, 17 years old. and She's getting ready to go to university and study to be an accountant. And I, I did the same thing. I said, so what did you think? She's like, I was here last night. Have you been coming a bunch? No, my, my boyfriend brought me. It's my third time listening about Jesus. And one of them was the night before. So she was there Saturday night. She came Sunday. And so, like, well, what do you think? She's like, I just have so many questions. Like, I know, uh, three times in, I I would have a ton of questions. So we spent about twenty minutes, and I was just answering her questions. And then I just said, Hey, on a scale of one to ten, one, Jesus is a fraud. He isn't who he says he is. It's a myth. Ten, he is who he says he is. He died. He rose again. He's alive, and he wants to give you life. And you're ready to follow him. Where are you on a scale of one to ten? And without even thinking, she says, seven or eight. My God, it's incredible. Like, here's the good news this church loves Jesus. And so you just keep coming, you keep asking. And when you hit the 10 mark, do not delay. And you put your faith in Jesus. Now, that sounds a lot more familiar than Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and everything else. But it's just a reminder what we're reading in Acts is not just history, it's not just story. It's what happened in that generation of people who heard the good news because someone went out and preached and then responded in faith. So I'm here just to remind you, as we're reading about momentum, God's gospel getting out to far off places, we're doing it with this in view. God's still doing the work, right? He's still drawing people to himself and the gospel is still the power of God to those who will believe. Now, let me just ask this morning, what does it take? How are we gonna be a community where people experience life in Jesus day by day. I want to be the kind of church where the Jaden story and the Amy story is not like once a year, but that all the time, this is a place where people are considering who Jesus is and when they find him to be attractive, saying, you know what? Yeah, I want to follow him. Well, I think Acts 14 gives us the secret sauce. How do you become a church that lives this out? Not just once in a while with a special speaker, but day by day. We're going to focus on just three verses. Uh, If you look at Acts 14, 21, 22, and 23, because I think Luke, the writer, summarizing Acts 13 and 14, which, by the way, those of you who've been reading, Paul in Acts does three trips, and Luke gives a log of one, two, and three. Acts 13 and 14 is the first journey takes about a year year and a half. And this is the summary. He says, they preached the gospel in that city. That's Derby. And won a large number of disciples. Then they returned. And then he just gives the cities that he already went to. To Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then a quote from what he said. We must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. How do we become the kind of community where this life, this vibrancy, this, this transformation happens often? I think that Paul, uh, or Luke I should say, lays out three things, at least, we'll just focus on three, that Paul and Barnabas do that open the door for a dramatic change. And, and I'm just going to apply it to us. So if you, if you like to take notes, if you're thinking about this church, and those of you going to basics or already gone through, those of you who say, you know what, I think sunset's my family. Here are three things that I think make up a healthy church. Number one, healthy churches keep the good news of Jesus central. That's what you see in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, notice verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and the phrase that's so unpopular they won a large number of disciples it sounds like you know type a competitive right they were on one team no but they won them over they were convincing they were compelling they they believed that this was the way the truth and the life and and they called people you need to follow Jesus and i say that because this may not be obvious it is quite possible to turn into a community where the good news of Jesus is not central. Now, those of you who've gone to churches before, you know that churches do all sorts of things. Uh, Churches build gyms like activity centers. Churches uh, build coffee shops. They start schools. They do all sorts of community things. And all of those, in and of themselves, aren't, aren't bad or good. Is a gym... Or an activity center, a good thing where people can get healthy and play sports together and build relationships. That, that's a good thing. Coffee shop, as long as it's not lame. Okay? There's no room for Christian lame coffee shops and a school to educate people. I think that's a great thing. But we need to be careful as a community. We want to keep the good news of Jesus central. And if you've been around a while, you know that it's easy to get off message. But you don't see that. Let's just look at Acts 14, like just a couple of verses. Verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas, verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there in Iconium speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. It seems to me that the early leaders were focused on speaking and demonstrating who Jesus is, and and we want to keep that on the forefront uh, of our community life. Well, it doesn't go well. We've already read it, so we won't read all the verses again. It doesn't go well. There's actually resistance to them. So look at verse 5. There's a plot afoot amongst the Gentiles. Together with the leaders, they wanted to mistreat and stone them. So verse 6, they found out and fled. So they're planning to stay in Iconium, but there's enough resistance where they have to leave. So what do they do when they leave? Uh, they go to the Lyconian system, uh, cities of Lystra and Derby. And verse 7, where they continue to do what? Preach the gospel. So the early followers, as they're going out, they want to keep the message of Jesus at the center. Now, one thing that may not be obvious here, but that's actually really helpful, is the, the types of cities they went to. Iconium. Iconium is like a major city and it's a trading center on a major route. It's a place that you would go to. If you want to get your message out, if you're a band and you want to, you want to sell your music or get your, your music out, you go to some big cities. Why? Bigger audience, more people. So they go to Iconium. That makes sense. But when they hear about the plot and they leave, they go to Lystra. You just need to know Lystra is an illiterate backwater town, a little village. So they didn't go from Iconium to another big city. They actually go to no man's land. And that's super helpful. What do they do in the big city? Preach the gospel. What do they do in Lystra? Preach the gospel. That is, the good news of Jesus is for everyone, everywhere, at all times. So some feel called to big cities, and some feel called to small communities. Which is right? Which is more strategic? Wrong question. If there are human beings, it's strategic. So we want to be a community that goes to the big cities of our world and preach the gospel, and we want to go to the remote villages. Everybody matters to God, and so therefore, we want to be the kind of people that go. So, so a community that keeps the good news of Jesus central is going to stay healthy. If here at sunset we get off base and Jesus doesn't become the center, read my lips, please leave. Please leave. Please leave. If this is a Jesus church, then stay. If this becomes something other than a Jesus-centered church, you have the right, you have the privilege, you have the responsibility to find someplace else. I'm not saying leave now. I'm saying that a healthy church has Jesus at the center. Second thing is healthy churches focus on discipleship to Jesus. So Jesus and his message was the center But it's not just follow Jesus. It's actually be transformed by Jesus. Go back to verse 22. So verse 21 says they preach the gospel. Verse 22, it says, They return to the cities strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And and you just get a one line of one of Paul's teachings. We must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. God. So a healthy church is is focused on growing all of us. It's got to start somewhere. Jaden has to respond to Jesus. Amy, at the right time, needs to respond in faith to Jesus and begin the journey. But you don't stay at the beginning. You don't walk into the house, so to speak, on the front door and stay on the other side of the door. You walk in. You check out the kitchen. You grab a snack. You go to the living room. You hang out. You get tired. You go to the bedroom. You grow. And in the same way, the call of every healthy church is to find ways to grow. And and that's what, uh, as a leadership team, we are praying through and thinking through how can we help people, not grow you for you, because actually we can't grow you as a leadership team. God needs to grow you. But we we can partner with God and find paths that make sense. Now, how does... How does God grow us in discipleship to his son, Jesus? You see it actually in Acts 13 and 14. Number one, primarily he uses people. Paul and Barnabas show what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. You know what they do? They go to all these towns. It takes them a year to a year and a half. You're getting summary statements. This doesn't happen in a blip. They spend months in these places. Now they're they're kicked out of Antioch. There's a plot to kill them in Lystra. And in Derby, they flat out get stoned and left for dead. And not like Oregon, Washington stoned, like literal stoned, like they are rocks and they try to kill him. Christian humor. Come on, you gotta love it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for liking it. I appreciate that. So uh, they they try to, they, they are, these are men who love God and are simply saying, you can be set free to who God made you to be. We should kill those people. Like, what is that like? You ever feel? We don't get it in that, like, severity. Did you ever just try to show the love of Jesus and get like, hey, don't give me that religion. Like, I was just trying to be nice. It happens. What shows their maturity? Look at, look at the end of verse 21. They returned they went back to the very cities all of them that tried to kill them. Why? The people in that in those cities who fell in love with Jesus mattered more than their own safety. That's a demonstration of Christian love. Is these leaders love these followers of Jesus so much and these towns are like, we're not going to let them get stifled in their faith. If they kill us, so what? We want to strengthen them. We want to build them up and it's worth the risk and and what does it mean to be strengthened and build up? God uses people. So, so Paul and Barnabas are a huge encouragement to everyone who started following Jesus. Now, I've got people in my life that are building me up in what it means to disciple to Jesus. And all throughout my life, I can just give you a litany of people. And it happens in seasons. Seasons God brings people into our life. Then they're not there anymore, and that's Okay. Let me just ask you, who are the people in your world right now that are influencing you, speaking into your life, strengthening you? Do you have any? If not, God wants to grow you to become a better disciple to Jesus by using other people. It's you and your responsibility to look for ways to get connected. So as a church, we want to find connection points for you to have people who can speak into your world. Every one of us needs it, and I pray that you have it. So there's people. But the second thing, and the more tricky, is God uses hardship. We read it, verse 22. We must go through, he doesn't say we may. Paul says, we must go through hardships to enter in. To the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where God rules. So if you want to live a life where God is ruling you, guess what? It will require seasons of hardship. So do not buy the lie that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be awesome. Now, in the end, that statement is true. But there's a process, isn't there? God actually sets out seasons. God does it. Seasons of hardship. Why? Because he knows that when we are hard-pressed, we lean in on God all the more. And so God, like a good father, allows for it. So this is strange. Paul is full of the Holy Spirit, yes or no? Yeah. Uh, Paul is obedient to the vision that God gives him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, yes or no? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul is daring, going from city to city, even though they want to kill him, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think Paul is asking for people to kill him? Don't you think he's praying, God, keep me safe? When we send out people on mission, you know, Lord, keep them safe. I say, well, bring them back alive. And there's a big difference because God does allow hardship for our good. Think about the times in your life when you have been closest to Jesus, isn't it often when, when you're stuck and you don't know what to do? Now, if you missed it, we just finished a prayer series. And Steve Marshman, he, he gave a great teaching called God Responds. And in it, if, if you missed it, just podcast it. it, it he, he dealt with a delicate balance between how we pray and how God answers. And there's no exact formula. There's variety. As a matter of fact, today he's doing a follow-up and going deeper on prayer and the will of God or prayer and how God does what he does. Fancy word, providence. And if, you, if you're wrestling with how does it, I don't get it. Why does bad happen to good people? Why do terrible things happen to people who choose to follow Jesus and obey? Uh, Steve and Vicky have all of the answers. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. They have some really good ones and some things to get you thinking. And I encourage you, even if you didn't plan on it, just hang out, eat the free lunch and go to that study uh, on prayer and providence. But this actually shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus is the one who's our model. Paul, and later on, he says he's filling up in himself the sufferings of Christ, which sounds crazy. He's filling up in his body the sufferings of Christ. That is, Jesus is the one who suffered first, and yet he leaves a portion of suffering, of hardship, of struggle that his followers are going to walk through. So that just what, exactly what happens in Jesus, his suffering leads to our good. So in the same way, our suffering oftentimes leads to someone else's good. Now, my suffering doesn't save anyone. That's where Jesus is different. But my struggle can lead to someone else hearing the gospel. Uh, Jesus is the one who says in John 15, 20, he said, remember what I told you, servants not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Now what we want is the second half. If they obeyed me, they'll obey you. But Jesus says it's a both and. They don't like Jesus. Uh, A friend, I was in Scotland. I, I didn't bring it up with me. But a a friend who was one of the leaders, Kenny, who organized this thing in Scotland, said, hey, I'm sending you a clip of an article. And it was an angry letter that someone wrote in the newspaper. The newspaper did an uh, article on my coming and what it was about and the message of Jesus and going into schools. And basically, this guy writes in with a letter that he signed and they publish his name saying, oh, here we go, Billy Graham, all over again. I'm like, I've never been compared to Billy Graham, but I'm thinking, yes. (laughs) But then he says right after that, Someone comes in trying to brainwash our kids about religion. And he just rants about how evil it is and don't get suckered into believing all this. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Because when we proclaim good news, not everyone is going to be open to it. As a matter of fact, that's what you see in Paul's life. So you see in Jesus' life. Remember, more people rejected Jesus than accepted him. And he was an okay guy. Right? Read the Gospels. More people are against Jesus, even though he came as the Son of God to rescue us. And the same thing happens to his followers. What's true of Jesus now becomes true of you. If they obey Jesus' teaching, they'll obey yours. We have something to share. You have something to give people that actually is a life transformational, and don't you forget it. You have the scriptures, the word of God, the testimony of God's word in your heart. What God is doing in and through you is important and it matters and it really makes a difference. But at the same time, there are hardships and God's gonna use that for other people's good and for our good. So Paul says, okay, you wanna look at the litmus test of tenacity, Second Corinthians 11, 24 through 26. He's telling the church at Corinth, he's like, hey, some of these leaders say they're real leaders. Well, let me just tell you my story. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus once. Jesus got it once. Paul endured it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. That's Lystra. He's reminding them what happens in Acts 14. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. This is not a cruise. Like this is him floating for his life. I've been constantly on the move. Been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, <laughs> dangers from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, and dangers in the city and danger in the country and danger at sea and in danger from false believers. How's that for a resume? That is the epitome of a fruitful Christian. How do we evaluate fruitfulness? The size of someone's home, <laughs> the size of their church, the size of their bank account. Let me tell you, that's fruitfulness right there. Now, that's not everyone's calling. Paul is called as a pioneer. And pioneers, just like we're in Oregon, a pioneer kind of state. But let me tell you, our adventuring is nothing like, like Lewis and Clark adventuring, where they don't know what they're going to find. So there are the early pioneers who suffer more for the cause of Jesus. We, we call them people worth following, people to look up to. So don't be sidetracked if your life is full of hardship i was in estonia after going to scotland and the first day we we're going in and out of schools doing school assemblies and i was picking up a speaker because no one else would i was picking up a speaker to move it into the van to go to the next school and, and it just slid and it, and it just sliced part of my hand like just the moment it slid i was like uh-oh You know, it was day one of four days in Estonia. And I look down and all of a sudden, there's blood everywhere. And and I'm like, hold it and put my little band-aid and whatever. And two and a half weeks later, it's starting to heal. Okay, that's about the extent of my physical suffering. That's about all I got. Now, I say that because our, now it did hurt. It hurt for a long time. But can we all disagree that suffering is a relative term? And there are brothers and sisters in Jesus who are enduring more than a little hand cut. So we want to be the people of God who do not moan and groan when everything doesn't go my way. And we want to be Christians with how about this? This is exciting a backbone that says, Jesus endured death for my good, Paul endures death for my good so that I can actually hear the gospel of Jesus. It's okay to not be okay all the time, all right? And hardship can actually be an helpful tool. Well, finally, one, one last one. Healthy churches also enjoy intentional community. So healthy churches, we keep the good news central. We focus on discipleship to Jesus. And we enjoy intentional community. So look at verse twenty. Three, Paul and Barnabas, they appointed elders for them in each church. They go back to city to city, and they raise up leaders. Why? In order for the community to thrive, we need to stay together. In order to be together, there actually needs to be a bit of order in order for the teaching of Jesus to remain strong, people to grow in their faith, there has to be some maturity at the center so that things don't go sideways. And much of what Paul writes in his letters is when things are going sideways in the church because it happens. So he loves these people. So he gives them elders. And what do elders do? Elders lead and guide and teach and love and care. And they're a model, not perfect, but they're a model of what it means to follow Jesus. They ought to be people that you say, you know what? I want to be like. Now, I don't want to be exactly like, but I want my faith to reflect the faith of, and can I just say with confidence, now it's kind of self-serving because I'm one of them, but let's just put me aside for a second. The rest of the elders are awesome, right? The leaders that you have, the men in this church that have been raised up and appointed as elders, are every one of them, I could say with 100% confidence I would be willing to give my kids to. If something happened to me and I couldn't raise my kids or I I died, any one of the elders here, I'd say, please raise my kids because I know they will love and follow Jesus Christ. You have leaders in this community. So healthy churches enjoy intentional community. That means... You make every effort to be connected with the people around you. Now, because of the size of our church, I can't say, because if I did it, they would kill me. Get to know every elder in this church. If every one of you tried to get to know, got to know every elder in this church, A, they would, they would have no life, right? And, And B, it would take months. So that's not possible. But there are leaders at every level There are elders and there are deacons and there are missional community leaders and there are all sorts of servants who are a little bit further in the faith than you are. Can I just say, God wants to grow you through people intentionally connecting your world and theirs so that you can learn. Most of your growth in Jesus is not gonna happen in this hour and a half together. Some of us are frustrated in our faith because we think that an hour and a half together is going to undo seven days of living our own life. No. This hour and a half should be inspirational, instructive, sure, challenging, yes. And it should steer the course for the coming week, right? But we ought to be looking for other touch points all throughout the week so that we can connect with people in this community. And we're not the only church. There are followers of Jesus all over the city. I'm just saying, God has some people that he wants to put in your world and you ought to be intentional. Healthy churches enjoy intentional, not haphazard, not if it happens, if it happens, it happens, it's intentional. So it's your responsibility to seek out people that God can use to shape you. It's not mine, it's not our elders, it's actually, it's your responsibility and I encourage you to take it seriously. What else happens? There, there are elders. I'll keep going. The middle of verse 23. So they appoint elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. So it's not just leaders leading. It's actually the community seeking God together. Prayer and fasting, committing people to the Lord. There was, there was an interchange. There's relationship here, not just as they chat to each other, but as they talk to God. And that's why, like Kenny mentioned it earlier, uh, another one, this is I think the sixth one for the year, a day set apart to seek God together. If you can do whatever you can do, please do it to be here November the 4th on a Wednesday in the morning or at night or both. And if you can't make it all the way here because we don't have childcare, get some people in your community, your missional community or just friends, circle up in your living room, get together, spend 20 minutes seeking God. 30 minutes worshiping God, uh, 10 minutes reading the Bible. I don't even care what you do. Get with people on November 4th and ask God, what is it that you want to say to us so that we can live more in love with you? So do it every day, but November 4th, because we want to be intentional about our life together. And so there's a small little nuance, but just to, to beat it to death here, If you look at verse 23, it's all about plural. So look at it. Paul and Barnabas, plural, appointed elders, plural. So it's not one leader appointing. It's two leaders appointing multiple people for them, plural. So every church needs leaders. With prayer and fasting committed them, plural, to the Lord in whom they, plural, had put their, plural, trust. All of this growth is is about community growth. And so what we want to do as a church here is to remind ourselves, our cultural default is me and Jesus. It's our cultural default. It's the world we swim in. Marketing, billions of dollars are spent on you, honing down you, you, your needs, your wants, your preferences. So we live in a culture where that's, that's where we swim. Everything is about you. And then the gospel comes in and smashes that. Life isn't about you. It's about God. And because God is good, he includes us, not just you. So yes, your personal commitment to Jesus is vital. Jay needed to respond. Amy has yet to respond. Maybe this morning you've yet to respond. So there is a you element. You need to follow Jesus. When I say you, I mean singular. You, 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 you. But after that, it's us. Once you start following Jesus, then it's our adventure together. So we're trying to work hard as a church to become a community that enjoys intentional relationship. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. So Paul sees the, uh, the church as a family. and Every family has leaders, so every church needs leaders. But everyone in the family is important. And so and I hope you're not seeing this as another like, oh, every time I come to church, they ask me to do more. Do more of this. Do more of that. More. No, that, that's not the point of the passage. And that's not the point of today's teaching. The point of today's teaching is God designed a way for us to grow and it's by putting us together. And life together is better. I just think about like, what's God doing like right in our greater community? Now this... This is not a plug, and I'm not a part owner in the company, so just deal with me. But let me just give you an example. Insomnia. How many of you have heard of Insomnia, a coffee company? Okay, yeah. It's just one of many. And so if you work for another one, we love you. God bless you, all that. But we do serve Dapper & Wise. That's another story, Um, which is owned by Insomnia. It's the same coffee. But I love it because I have a bunch of meetings over at the one at Cornell. And one of the beautiful things about going to Dapper & Wise or Insomnia Um, to meet with people is I can't go there without seeing you. Every single time I'm in either of those coffee shops, you are there. And the fun part is you're often there, not alone, just you and headphones sometimes, but often there's two of you having coffee, talking about something. Sometimes it's with Bibles open and reading together and encouraging each other. And if you know some of the insomnia staff, I think like half of them come to this church, But you you see people intentionally spending time loving people, caring for people, serving people, and modeling what it is to be Jesus and not weird. And this is a good thing. Now that's just one microcosm, because I'm there once or twice a week, sometimes once a day. It just depends on the week. And I see it lived out. People who love Jesus, working for the same company, and building each other up. People who love Jesus, and serving people who know Jesus, or don't know Jesus. People who are just in the community, using that place as a spot, to encourage one another. What I'm saying is, I see it all over this place. And I think, in my humble opinion, this is one of the greatest churches, Jesus has. I really believe that. So the encouragement from Acts 13 and 14, is let's just not give up. I just pray that this is always a place where the good news of Jesus is the center. And it's almost annoying. We're saying, do we have to hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus again? And the answer is yes! Until every single person on the planet is following Jesus, we need to hear the gospel again. So this morning, let me just ask you, where are you in relationship to Jesus? That's the bottom line. That's where life begins. And I hope this morning that in our worship that you respond and say, Jesus, like Jaden, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need you. I'm ready. Your forgiveness is what I need. Your life is what I need. I'm ready to follow you. Secondly, I hope that we're always a place that focuses on discipleship to Jesus. Not just more studies and not just more head learning, although that's totally important, but that we learn in our mind so that our life is actually different. Knowing more is important. Living out what you know is equally important. Would you agree? And so let me just ask you, are you going forward or are you falling backward? There's no such thing as neutral. You are not static. Relationships are always moving towards health or towards trouble. It's never static. So where are you in relationship to Jesus and his people? Are you moving forward and closer, or are you shrinking back? And the word is for you this morning, if you find yourself shrinking back, resist that, and by the grace of God, step forward into life. And then finally, I hope we're always a community that enjoys intentional relationship together. So who are your people? I have mine within this community. There are hundreds of us. I, I can't know everyone equally well, but I can rattle off people who I'd say, these are my people. Not that I only hang with them and don't include. We include as many as we can, but you can't go deep with everyone. Come on. So who are your people? If you are put in the hospital this week, I pray you're not, who do you call first for prayer? If you don't have someone, that is a sign that it's time to ask God for people. And here's the good news. They're right here. You don't have to go far, but you're going to have to look and open your eyes and ask the Spirit of God, bring me the people who are going to challenge me, not the people who are going to tell me it's okay. Those people aren't going to cause growth. If you go to a gym, you want a trainer who's going to tell it like it is. You are slow but you can get fast. You're weak, but you can get strong. And here's how. I'll do it with you. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We tell it like it is, not to make people feel bad, but to cause people to think and grow. Amen? Well, we want to respond with these questions. And so we're going to worship, and Brandon and the team are going to come. And even now, prepare your heart, which one of those questions this morning pertains to your world. Probably not all three, but at least one. And, and I, I, I would almost bet for most of us, it's the, are we pushing forward or shrinking back? Are we drawing closer to Jesus or slipping further away? And this morning, this worship time is your time to say, God, this is my heart. Here it is. It's messed up. But I give it to you recalibrate my heart towards you and your life and your work and your world. And let me tell you, my friends, Jesus can start the transformation in you right now. In a little bit, we're gonna go to the bread and the cup. It's the reminder is that every sin is cared for and every brokenness can be handled by Jesus alone. And so we're a church that believes that you can experience life in Jesus right now. I pray you do that.